Behold, O Lord, a lamb of your own flock, a sheep of your own fold, and a sinner of your own redeeming. Amen. You know that you're watching a Steven Spielberg film if you hear the, the sweeping musical score of John Williams. Dun, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. Or if you pay attention to this kind of thing, when you notice the camera zoom closely in to the face of someone who's staring off in wonder at some amazing thing, like Ellie Sattler climbing out of the Jeep looking at the dinosaur. Or if you notice that the story emphasizes childhood and innocence over against adult indifference, like Elliot from E.T., whose mom doesn't even know an alien is living in her house. Or the little girl with the red coat in Schindler's List. Storytellers have trademarks. Favorite ideas, or themes, or techniques, or concepts, or in the case of film directors, actors, that show up again and again in their movies. Letting you know who that storyteller is and what to expect from them. So, if you go to a Hitchcock movie, you expect suspense, right? If you go to Tim Burton movies, I don't know why you would, but if you did, you expect creepy dark weirdness, right? If you go to a Pixar film, you expect a creative kids movie that makes parents cry. Storytellers have trademarks. And it's more, when you learn the trademark, when you immerse yourself in the work of a particular storyteller, you begin to see them, and you begin to be able to track them over the course of their films. And this is true. The more you immerse yourself in that storyteller's work, the more you know them as a person. What matters to them, what's important to them, who they are. And this is true for the great storyteller of the Bible, God, whose story the scriptures are. Those who immerse themselves in the story of God learn his favorite trademarks, the things that he loves to do, the things that show you who he is and what matters to him. And so you begin to be able to see what to expect from him. You may begin to notice certain trends. And Mary has noticed a trend. The last couple of weeks, we've been walking with Mary and learning and reflecting what it means to have a Mary Advent. We began with the Annunciation, and Pastor Remfer helped us reflect on her faithful response. Let it be to me according to your word, clinging to the angel Gabriel's proclamation of good news. Last week, Pastor Bruick helped us reflect on her response of praise, her, her glorious revelry at this idea, this amazing idea that God regarded her not because of her strategic significance, because of anything she brought to the table, but simply in her humble estate. Out of his mercy, he regarded her who was nothing of significance and made her someone who would be called blessed by all future generations. And this week, we're going to continue to walk with her as we move through this song, the Magnificat, that is her, praiseful, her prayerful response, and see how this realization blossoms into a hope for God's great reversal. For that is the pattern that she has discerned in God's acts. We begin with verse 51, and these are kind of puzzling verses. She continues, well, let's go do, start at verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm, and scattered the, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. 
Now, at first glance, this seems kind of strange. I mean, because what has happened so far? She has been told she has a miraculous pregnancy. She's met her cousin, Elizabeth, who in her old age also has a miraculous pregnancy. We have no news of who these rich people are who are getting sent away empty or who the proud, prideful are. We don't understand how this baby has impacted anyone else in Mary's experience and what she sees that we don't see. How exactly has God scattered the proud or cast down the mighty? Well, it's important to go back and these verses before this and realize and look and look at what she's realized. God has had regard for her in her lowliest state and exalted her, making her someone who will be called blessed. And this, she sees, is a trademark move of the God of Israel. He exalts the humble and humbles the proud. And something he likes to do when he does this is he likes to get miraculous babies involved. Again and again and again. In his blockbuster, the defining film of our Lord, the Exodus, the God of Israel showed forever who he was. He was the one who, through miraculously preserving Moses and the danger to his life, threw down the mighty Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt from their thrones and lifted up his people Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And this became the defining film of God's work with which everything else was understood by the people of Israel. But you could recognize this same pattern going on before in God's, you know, smaller films, like when he, he cast, he scattered the prideful at Babel, but then raised up one man and his old barren wife and gave her a miraculous pregnancy, Abraham and Sarah. And then his great-great, or his great-grandson, Joseph, who was a born, born for, to a barren mother who did not have children, Rachel, And he was exalted up over his brothers, who were murderously prideful, and became the prince of Egypt. This is the same thing with Samson, whose mother was barren, and yet prayed to the Lord and had a visit from an angel of the Lord who promised that she would be pregnant. And Hannah, after her, who gave birth miraculously to Samuel, the gift of God's prophet. God, again and again, through the story of the Bible, exalts the lowly and humbles the proud. And he loves to do so through miraculous babies. And this is the the trademark move that Mary recognizes as she speaks with her cousin, who has, as many women before, have a miraculous pregnancy, John the Baptist, and who greets her with the power of the Holy Spirit. And she, who has something new and something unheard of, a virgin pregnancy. When she looks at this, she sees the hand of her God at work. And so she knows what comes next. God has exalted us who are lowly, and therefore he's going to be humbling some prideful people. He's going to be scattering some proud. It's important when we recognize this is the trademark move of the God of Israel, this is also the source of their hope. Because they, as they were humbled by their exile, by their defeats, they knew that this is God doing what he does, humbling us who in our pride rebelled against him. And precisely because he has humbled us and put us under the tyranny of those great and mighty nations who in their pride exalt themselves against him, they will be humbled. This trademark move of God of humbling the proud and exalting the lowly is the source of hope. Hope for the future that no matter how dark the present is, no matter how low they have been put, their God is the one who lifts the lowly. And this is why in Isaiah 54... There's this beautiful passage of Israel's restoration as a barren woman having many children. 
Because God loves to do this, and he loves to tie it to the gift of birth. And so Mary recognizes in the child in her womb and in the child in her cousin that God has started a new chapter in his story. And this one is going to outshine all the ones that come before. But it's the fulfillment of the story of Israel. That's the end of her song, verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She knows that God is the author of history. And she knows the trademark moves by which God identifies his hand at work. And this gives her hope for the future. So she would not have been surprised when 30 years later her son is grown up and he starts his ministry. And he, well, he keeps on with his father's trademark move. He, he hangs out with the poor with the Samaritans, with the sinners, with the outcast. And he confronts repeatedly those who exalt themselves in pride against God, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He confronts his own disciples when they seek to be the greatest among his followers. Because that's who God is. The Father is just like the Son. Now, if you watch a lot of movies from the same director, you, you might note, and you begin to note their trademark moves, and you, you trace them through their careers, you might get to a point where you you see, they've done something special in this film. I mean, because they don't repeat the same idea over and over and over again. That's a boring filmmaker. You wouldn't watch their movies. But they shift them and slant them each time, reflecting on them more deeply. And maybe, if the filmmaker's good enough, they'll come out with what we would call their magnum opus, their great work. And you'll recognize all their preceding films as building up to this. And now they finally said what they were trying to say. And I think Mary recognizes that what's going on in her is the beginning of God's magnum opus, his great work, when he will once and for all humble the proud and exalt the humble. For once and for all in her son, he will not just humble a proud individual, he will humble the source of all pride, the enemy himself. He will humble prideful humanity in its its rebellion against God. When he takes our arrogance and pride on himself and is humbled to the point of death, even death on a cross. And God did for Jesus, for her son, what he does for all the lowly. He raised him from the dead. He raised Jesus from the dead and with him he raised all humanity with him. So that all human beings can look to this person and find in them the definitive act of God. The definitive story of who God is and what he has done for his world. So that with Israel, together, we can point to our God and say he is the one who raised up Israel out of Egypt, he is the one who raised Jesus from the dead, and he is the one who raises me from sin, from shame, from death, from grief, because he is the God who exalts the lowly and humbles the proud. So this, then, is the source of our Advent hope, our penitent Advent hope. Because Advent hope has two parts. We know that... Sin still lives in our hearts, and it still leads us to exalt ourselves against God, to do what we want to do, to be the authors of good and evil, to do things our way. And so we fear that. We don't want to be humbled by God. So as James says, we humble ourselves through penitence, through confession, through seeking the way that we are wrong, knowing that when we do, we are exactly where God is to meet the lowly. We can recognize then God at work in the present, 
in the midst of our grief and suffering and loss, lowering and humbling us, knowing that he's putting us exactly where he delights to create life. For Mary's God is your God. Mary's Son is your Savior. And the God who raised Israel out of Egypt and who raised Jesus from the dead will raise you from death, from sin, from grief, and from shame. For he is the God who exalts the lowly and humbles the proud. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us this insight into who you are, to your character, for showing yourself again and again through as the one who humbles the proud and exalts the lowly, for making yourself recognizable and accessible to us in the gift of life, in the baby in a manger, in the man on the cross, and in the risen Lord who gives us here himself by his promise. We ask that you create in our hearts penitent Advent hope that both humbles ourselves in our sin and looks to you in hopeful expectation for that renewal in that day when your Son comes to clothe us with his glory. In his name we pray. Amen.